Hey, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open it to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's the Old Testament. You got 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. That's where we are today. We're about halfway through a series of messages where we are preaching through this book. And we've entitled it Nehemiah Creatively, a people... That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Nehemiah, a people on mission. And uh, before we crank it up, let me just say a couple of things. Uh, China team, thanks for that. Just that tremendous report on your work there. And um, I'm just so thankful that we're building a, a little city here, a little redemptive project called Crosspoint that is really passionate about the gospel, not only in the Columbus, Georgia area, but all over. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. And if you have a refrigerator and a checkbook, you are in the top 6% of wealth in the world. And um, I think just about everybody in here has a refrigerator and a checking account. Um, Maybe you don't, but you are related to somebody that does. And... So to whom much is given, much is required. I'm also very thankful that we're people that take the Bible seriously. Like, we don't spend a whole lot of time teaching or preaching. In fact, we don't spend any time teaching or preaching out of anything except the Scriptures. And so we're going to go through a relatively obscure, unpopular Old Testament narrative today. Some people would call it boring. We call it awesome. Because it's the Bible, and we are banking everything we have on the Bible. So let's get rocking on Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm warning you that next week is another list. It's Nehemiah chapter 7, and just like chapter 3, it is basically a long list of Hebrew names. And if you're wondering if we're going to preach on that chapter 2, the answer to that is yes. (laughs) And it's also going to be full of awesomeness. So buckle your seatbelts. All right, let's catch you up on the story of where we are in Nehemiah chapter 6, in case you're here for the first time or it's been a while. And by the way, all these messages are on our website or on a podcast. We do a podcast. We put those messages out there every, that's on iTunes. We do that every Monday afternoon. And if you're not a podcast, iTunes sort of a person, you can go straight to our website and play straight from the website. We have notes up there. But to catch you up on where we are in this redemptive history of Nehemiah, God has, in the whole Old Testament, been working through a people, and he creates everything, not just good, but very good, in Genesis. And and then people, we, rebel against God. Adam and Eve rebel against God, and that brings a series of dreadful consequences. And, And it's just a note here, like our rebellion and our sin brings death. And death deserves, our sin deserves punishment. So we're not just in people in need of help or assistance or improvement. We are a people from the beginning of time in need of rescue and resuscitation. And, and we need to be brought back from the dead. Sin brings death. And that's all of us. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, Romans says. But God calls a man in Genesis 11 named Abram. Later on, he becomes Abraham. And through this one man, he begins to form a people. And these are the Old Testament Hebrews, the Jews, the nation of Israel, that through these people, he wants to build a, a city and a, and a culture and a church through which 
he would bless all the peoples of the earth. So it's not just for the Jews or for this certain group of people, but he has chosen this group of people, not because they're cute, not because they, they would go on a J.C. Crew catalog or J.C. Penney's. I'm mixing up J. Penny. Anyway, you know, a J. Crew catalog, not because they, like they, they have an SUV or they live in a... He chose them because he chose them. In fact, he chose them because they were probably least of all the peoples, and choosing somebody like that would make God look more glorious. And so he chooses these people to work through, but these people, just like how he chooses us, they rebel against God. And the whole storyline of the Old Testament is sin again, redemption, sin again, redemption, sin again, redemption, and people walking away from the goodness and the grace of God, which is basically the story of our lives to a great degree, isn't it? And so he finally raises up and gives them this leader named David. And David has this great God-inspired vision to build a city, a city for God called Jerusalem through this city, which God would bless all the nations of the earth because that was his first promise to Abraham. And so David does build this city. He establishes this city of Jerusalem. And he doesn't get to build this temple that he had this dream to build for God. And he dies, but his son Solomon does build this temple. And this temple is an incredible place. It's a beautiful place. It's huge and it's wide and it's wonderful. And it's in this place that God all throughout the Old Testament began to speak and say, through this temple in this city, I will abide with you, not just for your sake, church folks, but for the sake of all the world so that I would make my name great through you as a people. But because of their rebellion, they get overrun and taken captive by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar. And he destroys the city of Jerusalem and he destroys the temple. And so now for 141 years, this temple and this city of God has laid in waste. And God moves upon the heart of a man named Nehemiah to go rebuild the city. And so now that's where we are in this story. And that's why it applies to us today. Because just as God worked through the Old Testament, where he was building a physical city and a physical temple through a people to bless all the nations of the earth. Likewise, in the New Testament, he is spiritually building his church, his people, not just so that we can be Christians in the Bible Belt, but so that through us, God would bless all the peoples of the earth. And so just as Nehemiah was on a mission, we are on a mission to rebuild or build a church, a city within a city, a temple, a spiritual temple, so that God can use us for something far beyond our own comfort and um, joy. So that's where we are in Nehemiah chapter 6. We've gone through this book, and uh, what has happened is he has faced opposition. He has received incredible favor from another pagan king named Artaxerxes, and he has gone, and now he, he early on in the book faces opposition from a man named Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, and they threaten him with physical harm. He, he weathers that storm. And uh, he tells his workers to have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And he gets through that in chapter 2 and 3. And then in chapter 3 and 4, he begins to, in chapter 5, he begins to not only face external challenge, but internal challenge. His own people are starting to fight with one another. And we talked about that last week. And now, again, the same characters that we fought in, that he faced in chapter 2 and 3, come back again, but with a different tactic. And so we're going to talk today about deceptive distractions that keep us from the mission of God. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1. Now when now here's the deal today. We um we all I got is well, I don't have any points or any I got one word. 
We got one word that I want to teach you today. There's, so this is going to be easy. You're going to, what did Brad talk about today? What? One word, one thing, one word that Nehemiah says three times that um, I need to be taught. I need to learn better, and I want to help us with today. Let's go. Nehemiah 6.1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. One of the greatest lines in the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> that's an underliner. That's a, on the sticky, in your mirror, on your phone, and on your internet. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So let's stop here and kind of dig into this scene. Now remember, these guys are the same guys who in chapter... Two and three threatened physical harm against him. They were mounting armies against him. Nehemiah gets his guys ready, and so they back off. And now all of a sudden, in chapter 6, they want to have a conversation with Nehemiah. I mean, that, that, I mean, that should make your, your radar kind of perk up right there. I mean, come on, these guys are wanting to get him to come down. And he says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? But evidently they didn't get the hit because in verse four it says, and they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. At what point there does it become awkward? Hey, Nehemiah, first of all, I recognize you. Aren't you the guy in chapter 2 that was trying to like mount an army and come and destroy me? Oh, but now you want to talk? Like you want to go to Starbucks for a cup of coffee, but just a second ago you were shooting at me? What? <laughs> you know, that, that sort of, there's an inherent amount of awkwardness right away, right? And then, and then the first, Nehemiah, they come to him, come on down, let's have a talk on the plane. And Nehemiah says this word that, here's the word. Okay, this is, this is hard for us because we are, we are the most distracted, shallow, easily diverted culture in the history of civilization. We'll be watching TV with the football game on in the background and no, I really don't want to talk about what happened yesterday to my favorite team. <laughs> right? We will be reading some website Maybe got our Bible open on the coffee table, calling it Bible study, right? <laughs> talking on our cell phone. No, no, talking on our, our landline phone, sending a text message to our boy, right? And all of a sudden, you know, ding, you got mail. And oh, it's just, you know, some heiress in, you know, Indonesia wanting to give me $8 million. And we... We are the most distracted, easily duped, easily diverted culture in the history of America. So here's the word. This is what Nehemiah says. No. <laughs> no. No. But evidently that wasn't enough because they came back to him and they said four times. When does that become awkward? No. I know who you are. I know what you're trying to do. This is a sham. No. No. Say it with me now, boys and girls. Okay, come on. Say it with me. 
No. There you go. All right. One more time. No. All right. But actually, Nehemiah did it a few more times. So last time, it would get awkward if we go too much further. No. No. Thank you. Good timing, by the way. Here's, here's the point, guys, is that as we're thinking, look, this is the beautiful thing about preaching through the scriptures. The truth is in the text. The truth is in the text. I don't have to make something up here. I don't have to get creative. I don't have to buy something from some other big pastor. And, you know, this is what diverts you. Here's the, here's, the, here's the more deceptive thing, because I don't think that anybody has faced a similar situation like Nehemiah. Like, I don't think any of you have been about to be at war, and then the person that you were about to be at war with physically has come all of a sudden a couple weeks later and said, hey, let's, let's meet at Starbucks. And you're like, what should I do? No, it, it's, it's more subtle than that in our culture. What are some of the things that easily divert us? What are things that, because come on, couldn't there have been some people there with Nehemiah that said, Nehemiah, they just, they just want to talk. Having a conversation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Come on. So, so, the, so the issue for us is being able to have the discernment to say no to some things that may just be morally neutral, but when you pile them up together, they absolutely suck the life out of you. What easily diverts you? Some of us blow hours on Facebook. Some of us blow hours on ESPN. Some of us blow hours texting. I mean, at some point there, we've got to be able to say no to lesser things so that we can say yes to the one great thing. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me. Okay, not just four times, but now a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. That's significant. I'll get to that in just a second. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Look, this is, this is, this is fiddlesticks, man. This is not even, this is not true at all. There's nothing in the book that indicates this. This is absolute hogwash. They're just making stuff up. And he sends it in an open letter. Okay, now that's very significant. In these ancient times, anytime any correspondence was sent sent that had any type of important information in it at all, it would be a sealed letter. And then that letter would be carried, and if somebody were to break that seal, that could be punishable by, by severe punishment, even death, but it would arrive at its intended destination. This is an open letter. This is, so he's basically walking through the Times Square, sort of reading it. This is, this is what Nehemiah's saying. I don't know. You know, the person who's just kind of spreading rumors. This is like the, the Student Life Center bulletin board. You're, you're, you're nailing stuff up on telephone poles saying that Nehemiah is planning a revolt and then eventually they get to him and they read him this open letter. This is open, open lies and fabrication about him. And so it says it is reported among the nations. Geshem also says it. Whoever Geshem is, like, you know, people are lying about you. They just kind of come up with like secondary and third. Well, I mean, I don't know. People are saying who? Uh, People. Uh, People. I mean, just, you know, just like trying to intimidate you. That you and the Jews intend to re- and that is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you also have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So, so Nehemiah is, is, is threatened with the defamation of his character. And he's this... His enemies are trying to refute. They're just making stuff up. 
And so Nehemiah, again, is forced to have discernment. And so he says in verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, No. No, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. The first no that Nehemiah said was to just these seemingly neutral things that want to divert us. And he said, no, I'm not coming down just to have a discussion because I'm on a mission here. And then the second no that Nehemiah says no to is a little bit a step up in the attack. He begins to defame his character. He begins to say things about him. And it's at this point where I think the application to us is that, listen, I don't think, again, none of us are being charged with, I mean, I don't think any of us are being charged with treason against the United States government. But what happens here in our life is that, you know, there's just this kind of this defamation of our character. Maybe it's somebody in our life that, that, that has something on us. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, just a kind of a thorn in your side. Maybe it's even some internal voice of accusation of the enemy that just, no, there's no way you could really do that because in reality you are not the type of person that could be involved in that type of project for God. And there's just this voice of accusation of character against you. And to that voice, Nehemiah says, no. I think it's very, very important that we understand the gospel, that what Jesus does in us. There's people in this room who have absolutely messed it up in their past. And yet, even though they have received Jesus as their Lord, it's like they can never get over the accusation of the enemy against their character because they're still listening to these voices that would defame them and and accuse them of treason against the king. When in reality, no, no, Jesus died for that. And so Nehemiah says no to diversion at the first opposition. In this case, he says no to the lie about who he truly is. The more difficult part about this is what happens when you get reminded of something that used to be true of you. Isn't that the more difficult thing to say no to? No, that's not who I am anymore. No, no. Is there some voice in your head? Is there some person that's particularly against you is there some situation that just kind of reminds you of of how maybe you don't have what it takes if you're a christian it means that jesus has carried that away and that you can say no to that you can say no to that no that's not who i am i am not an alcoholic I am not a sexual addict. I am not a person whose male, whose, 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 whose marriage failed and now I have to wear this scarlet letter D on my chest for the rest of my life. No, I, I am not the kid who was 12 years old who froze in front of an audience and now can't even read out loud in front of class. No, I am not the person who is addicted to opinion of me. I am not the person who is, who is codependent. No, those may be things that you still struggle with, but they do not identify the core person of who you are. It is not you. If Jesus has died for you, you can say no to those things. No, no, that's not who I am. I'm not the porn downloader anymore. 
I am not the lust-filled guy anymore. I am not the anger-driven hothead anymore. I am, not the, I am not the gossiper anymore. I am not the addicted to substance person anymore. That's not who I am. That's not to say it's never going to come back. But no, 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 that's not who I am. But the voice comes. The voice comes. And just as Nehemiah said no to that lie, there's somebody in this room who today just seems to say no, 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 no. That's not who I am. God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was confined to his home, he said, and this gets nuanced, this is tricky, right? These are his people, okay? He's, he's, in just a second, we're going to unfold the situation where these are his people, and they're going to turn against him in a clever sort of way here. These people, who this house of Shemai, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, was confined to his home. And he said, hey, Nehemiah, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. I mean, that sounds super spiritual. Right? Hey, let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go to church. And let's, let's, let's have an all-night prayer vigil. Because they're coming to kill you. So far, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's like the super spiritual guy in the background saying, have you prayed enough, brother? You know, come on, come on, let's go. Let's fast. And I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's like confusing. It sounds good so far, right? Yeah, yeah, gosh, it's so, man, I'm just, I'm tired and I've had all these things coming at me. And then there's this person coming, come on, come on, come on, come on, stop, stop what you're doing. And let's go into the temple. They're coming to kill you. Verse 11, but God gave Nehemiah incredible wisdom. And he said, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. You need to know a little bit here about what's going on. Is for Nehemiah, who's not a priest, according to Old Testament law, for him to enter the temple would mean death. In fact, in the Old Testament, when people would just kind of want, you don't just roll up in the crib like, yo, I'm here. I mean, the people died for going into the temple. It's not like it is now. The priest, once a year, would go into this day of atonement for the people. You couldn't just roll up in the... I'm in the hizzy, come on, boom, you're dead, that's it. But if in certain situations, a person like Nehemiah, who was just a regular guy, could go into the temple, but when he went into the temple, it was only for asylum or escape. But if he was doing that, he was saying one thing, either he's going to die, or two, he is escaping something that he can't, he, an enemy's chasing him and he just needs asylum. So he would be, in that situation, admitting to his people that he has lost control and he can't lead anymore. And so the trick was to try and get him into the temple, either God would strike him dead, or he would be admitting to the people that basically he's not the leader that he's been telling him he is all this time. So the tactic is to discredit Nehemiah by getting him to do something that sounds kind of spiritual and helpful. No, I will not go in. Verse 12, and I understood to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, man, like how do you get that? You get that through reading the Bible. You get that through hanging around Christians. You get that through praying like Nehemiah did all throughout this chapter. But God strengthened my hands. God gave Nehemiah spiritual wisdom that does not come overnight. Verse 12, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Sorry, suckers, man. If they can't get 
him to come down on their own, they go and hire him. They go and try and hire a couple of his people to be involved in the conspiracy. And by the way, and this is just a little note, if you're a leader of anything, remember what happened in chapter 5. Nehemiah brought the heat on his people because they were treating each other poorly. And so he, he calls a great assembly and he says, stop treating each other like this. And he enforces some reform on the situation. And, you know, what we read is everybody agreed with him. But don't you think in a group of thousands of people, some people are like, that's Nehemiah's a jerk. So there was an opportunity for people to rebel against Nehemiah because of the bad attitudes of some of the people amongst the group of people that he was leading. And his enemies took advantage of that open door and tried to hire these two cats. But Nehemiah had too much wisdom for them. For this purpose, verse 13, he, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Nodiah, we don't know who that is, but he just throws her in there because evidently she rubbed Nehemiah the wrong way. And the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. One of the things I love about the Bible is it records honest, true, raw history. This is called an imprecatory prayer. And there also are these psalms in the Old Testament that are called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory is a word that means when you're praying for God's vengeance to come upon your enemies. I mean, if I was writing a religion, if I was writing a book that a religion would be based on, I would not include the psalms that are imprecatory psalms where David says, Lord, dash their babies against the rocks. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, so what... What does that mean? That doesn't mean that we should pray for babies to get thrown against rocks, but it means that the Bible is capturing true, raw, honest, human emotion. Where sometimes we pray, God, I, I, th- these prayers not, may not be necessarily justified in an example for us to, to pray in, in our times, but it's, it's raw, real people getting mad and saying, God, do something on my behalf because I care so much about your mission and your name that I'm willing for you to bring fire on these people. That's passion, right? That's passion. I had that prayer against the University of Washington last night, but anyway. <laughs> For those of you who are the new, I'm a Southern California fan. I grew up in the area and tough night. Verse 15. So, so, so before we go on, for a third time, Nehemiah says, No. But this time he says no. The first time he said no to what seemed to be neutral diversion. The second time he says no to the defaming of his character. And this third time he says no to deceptive entrapment. If you do not realize that we are in a spiritual battle and that there is an enemy and his name is Satan that is out to destroy you. You are living in a degree of naivete that is incredibly unhealthy for you. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer, Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, said about spiritual warfare and about demons and devils, he said that the Christian who understands the gospel and knows Jesus should not think too much on these things regarding spiritual warfare and demons and the devil. Because, you know, you become kind of that weird person who's always looking for a demon behind a rock. You know the type. We've all probably ran into the lady with the tambourine in the back, you know. He says, don't think too much about these things. 
But don't think too little about these things. And if I could be honest, kind of, I think that probably the danger for people like us is we tend to think too little about these things because we live in comfortable America where everything seems to be in the flesh and not spiritual. But there is an enemy, and his name is Satan, and he's bent on your destruction. Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, you can put that verse up on the screen, it says, no, no, be on guard. 2 Corinthians 11:14. he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Right? He doesn't jump out from behind a rock with a pitchfork and horns growing out of his head and a black trench coat and saying, hey, Brad, come here for a second. Opens up his trench coat and says, hey, uh, can I interest you in some crack and some black tar heroin? I mean, it's not how he works. He comes in subtly. And he comes in drawing our hearts away so that before we know it, we're doing things that we never thought we'd do. He comes as an angel of light. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10 says that be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about, prowls about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't say those things to psych you out. I say those things to... To let you know that there is an enemy that wants to destroy you, men. There's an enemy that wants to destroy you, women. But if God is for us, Romans 8.31, who can be against us? Who can bring any charge against God's elect, Romans 8 says? (laughs) He who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? 1 John 4, 14 says that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So I'm not telling these things to scare you. I'm telling them to illuminate you and then to give you confidence in the one who died for you and who will keep you and who will make you persevere in his way for his glory. But there are things that we need to say no to. And in this third and final no, Nehemiah says no to deceptive entrapment. That comes sneaky, sly, as an angel of light. Okay, let's finish. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Where Jesus, the Spirit of God was in this, wasn't it? 141 years went by and the project never got finished. But Nehemiah, the right man with the right mission, with the right burden, with the right group of people, with the right heart, with the right passion, with the right fire in his belly in 52 days, did what could not be done in 141 years. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Verse 17, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and Tobiah's letters came to them for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Aran, the son of Jeconiah had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah as his wife. Also, they spoke of the good deeds in my presence and reported my words to them. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Listen, you can be doing the right thing for the right God at the right time and everything could be going well, but well for you, but there still will be haters. There still will be people that are wanting to destroy you. And the battle is not over as we continue in Nehemiah. But let me end with this. Two questions. Three no's that Nehemiah said. The first is the no that he said to, to the diversion, the morally neutral, the things that we could justify in and of themselves. I mean, come on. It's okay to 
say yes to some of these things. Yeah, maybe it is, but when you add them all up, they destroy you. And the second no he said was to the defamation of his character. There's people in this room I know that are struggling with their self-identity in Christ, and it's just destroying them and neutralizing them and keeping them from the mission that God has for them. And then thirdly, Nehemiah says no to deceptive entrapment. The angel will come looking like an angel, but in reality it's Satan wanting to destroy us. So here's my two questions. Why is it so important to learn how to say no? Because in Nehemiah's case, the mission was on the line. And correspondingly for us, why is it so important that we be people that live on a focused line, that we know who we are, that we know what we're doing, that we know what our purpose is in life, that we know who we are as a church, that that I know who I am in Christ, that I know what's vital, that I know what's critical, that I can say no to wasteful, neutral things, that I can say no to past experiences that come haunt me, that I can say no to deceitful entrapments. Why is it so important? Because just as God needed to work through, wanted to work through this people to build his temple back and to build his city back so god has chosen to work through people like us and souls hang in the balance and little kids that are growing up in the homes that are represented in this room hang in the balance look i am a stalwart believer in the sovereignty of god i don't have to go over that again but just as much as i believe in the sovereignty of god i believe in human responsibility so you have got to be the man and the woman that god has called you to be you've got to do it it hangs in the balance souls hang in the balance as to whether or not cross point will be the church that it's supposed to be my four children their destinies hang in the balance as to whether or not i will be the dad that that is called to be otherwise they'll go awry my marriage hangs in the balance i'm going to stay with that lady for the rest of my life but it could go it could go south if i'm not the man i'm called to be why the city had to be, be rebuilt my life has to be rebuilt this church has to be built why because the mission of god in your life and in this city is in the balance because of people like us why that's why how how do you say no? Do you just muster, like, I think I can, I think I can, right? Like, what is it? Is this a Al Franken Saturday Night Live skit? Still can't believe he's a senator, but is this just an... You know that guy? Was it Al Franken on Saturday Night Live? You look in the mirror and say, I like me, and I'm, I'm okay. Is it just mustering good thoughts? No, it's it's understanding the gospel. Second Corinthians five twenty one, a verse that we need to memorize. We sang about it earlier today. It says, "For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin." Martin Luther, the great reformer, calls this verse the great exchange. It means that he took all of your sin, if you're a Christian, past, present, and future, and Jesus took it on his shoulders, and he carried it away. So why, think of the audacity, the audacity of us bringing our sin back up and letting it hold us back. Think if, think if we lived in a monarchy, and there was a king of the United States of America, and we had been found guilty of treason and murder and rebellion, and we're standing before the king, And the king says, your sins are forgiven. I have punished my son for your sins. 
go now in peace and live for the prosperity and the advancement of my kingdom. Think about how ridiculous it would be if we said, oh, thanks, but, but I still feel pretty bad about what I did, so um, can we talk about my guilt for a little bit longer? And the king says, no, 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 you don't understand. I have poured out my justice on my son for you. Now go live for the prosperity and the advancement of the kingdom. Thanks, king, but you don't know. I mean, you don't know. Like, because when I was doing that, man, I, I still just feel really bad about who I am. I mean, think about that. Think about the way we act towards the forgiveness. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took it away. He absorbed every bit of the wrath and justice and punishment of God has been satisfied in Jesus. Satisfied. And it doesn't end there. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He then takes away our sin. Get this, this is the foundation of Christianity. He takes away our sin, those that repent and believe and trust in Jesus, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ so that we can say no. And I end with this verse. And if that has happened in your life, you have, your sin has been carried away by Jesus and you have received the imputed righteousness of Jesus, then, then you can live out of this verse and this is the only way. Listen, <laughs> Listen this is the only, this verse came alive to me about 10 years ago. And without this verse, I think my life would have been destroyed by the lust of the flesh. And this verse is in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teaching us, the NIV says, or ESV says, training us to renounce. The NIV says, teaching us to say, there's our word, no, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age for the sake of the mission. Because I've got to be the daddy that I'm called to be. I've got to be the husband that I, I'm called to be. And I've got to be the, the preacher and the pastor that I'm called to be. Why? Because the mission is at stake. What about you? What do you need to say no to? Do you need to understand the gospel a little bit better and realize that your salvation was not some distant cosmic transaction where your sins were forgiven, now you're on your own to figure it out and just grit your teeth, I think I can, I think I can. Or do you realize, young man, that what has happened is that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, has filled you with his presence and his righteousness and has given us the ability to say no to the lesser broken things so that we can say one big yes to the great thing, which is the joy and satisfaction that comes with life in Christ and living on his mission. I'm going to pray in just a second. And I've just prayed that the Spirit of God would lead our hearts and encourage us to be honest about the things that we say we need to say no to. At this point, in my earlier days in preaching, I would probably try and list a whole bunch of things, kind of the spaghetti against the wall method, hoping that I name the one thing that, you know, you're troubled with so that, yeah, ooh, that pricked my heart. That's kind of like saying, Holy Spirit, I don't need you. What is it? You know the deal. I know the deal. Let's say no to some things today for the sake of the mission. Lord, I thank you for your word. 
for the great example of Nehemiah. And for the fact that Nehemiah chapter 5 is not, or Nehemiah chapter 6 is not really about a group of people who were rebuilding a wall in a city. But ultimately, it's about Jesus who is rebuilding our lives and our city, this spiritual city called Crosspoint, and every other church that names the name of Jesus. Because these scriptures in the Old Testament and the New were given to point us to what Jesus did for us. In fact, Jesus says as much in Luke chapter 24 when he appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He he explains to them out of the Old Testament scriptures, including Nehemiah chapter 6, about himself. And so God, would you right now by your Holy Spirit come in like a flood? And would you give us... The wisdom that you gave Nehemiah, would you illuminate our weary spirits so that we can have spiritual discernment to see the diversion and the defamation and the deception of the enemy that wants to neutralize and destroy us? And God, would you help us be a people who understand that we we aren't just mustering mustering our own ability to say no here. This is not self-help. This isn't just, come on, think good thoughts and you can do it, Johnny. No, this is relying solely on the finished, the finished work of Christ on the cross that makes the power to say no available to every person in this room who would repent and believe and trust in Jesus. God, would you help us with that? And then would you give precise and personal and clear application by the voice of the Holy Spirit into the thousands of different examples that are present in just this group of people here today. God personally helped me say no to thoughts of imminent failure. God, I am still a slave way too often to the opinion of people. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1, verses 10, if I'm still trying to please people, I couldn't be a servant of Jesus. So God, I I personally need to say, I've said no to so many things that could destroy me, and I thank you for that, but I, I need to say no to the opinion of man in my life. And I repent of that. Too often in my life, God, people are big and you are small. And I'm tossed to and fro by fear of rejection and failure. God, give me wisdom for those areas and help me say no to them. And strengthen my hands, not because you've given me any great talent, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Would you help me with that? I'm, I'm, I'm in desperate need of strength in that area. Your strength, not mine. God, would you, would you come now? Would you do what only you can do? If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus and that has become apparent by the past 45 minutes, here's what you need to do. You need to stop playing a religious game. I don't care if you're a church kid. You don't know Jesus. Church kids die and go to hell too. What you need is you need your heart that is dead and far and distant. You need it brought back to life. 
And the only one who can do that is not you by figuring it out or not you by deciding to turn around, but but Jesus has to breathe life into you just like he breathed life into Lazarus. And so what you do, if you're sensing that as the reality in your life, is you turn, you repent, you trust, you believe, and you confess your sins and say, Jesus, make me new. Make me new. You do that right now. The Bible says that you will become born again through the living and abiding word of God. Do that. Believe. Repent. Give your heart to Jesus. Trust in him. Stop trusting in self-righteousness. It's his filthy rags. For the rest of us that are scared, neutralized, underperforming, energy sucked out of us Christians, God, would you come and help us say no to the things that drag us away and eventually destroy us so that we can say yes to Jesus and his mission. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.